0: Chapter One, Joseph, Part Nineteen of the Legends of the Jews, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Legends of the Jews, Volume Two by Rabbi Louis Ginsburg. The Sons of Jacob at War with the Sons of Esau. Jacob, having been interred with royal pomp and the seven days' period of mourning over, the conflict between the sons of Jacob and the sons of Esau broke out anew. In the skirmish that had ensued when Esau advanced a claim upon a place in the cave of Machpelah, while his brother's remains still lay unburied, he lost forty of his men, and after his death fortune favoured his sons as little. Eighty of their followers were slain, while of the sons of Jacob not one was lost. Joseph succeeded in capturing Zepho the son of Eliphaz and fifty of his men, and he clapped them in chains and carried them off to Egypt. Thereupon the rest of the attacking army, led by Eliphaz, fled to Mount Seir, taking with them the headless corpse of Esau, to bury it in his own territory. The sons of Jacob pursued after them, but they slew none, out of respect for the remains of Esau. On the third day a great army gathered together, consisting of the inhabitants of Seir and the children of the east, and they marched down into egypt with the purpose of making war upon joseph and his brethren in the battle that came off this army was almost totally destroyed not less than six hundred thousand men were mowed down by joseph and his warriors and the small remnant fled precipitately returned to their own country after this fatal campaign the sons of esau and the sons of seir fell to quarrelling among themselves and the sons of Seir demanded that their former allies leave the place, because it was they that had brought misfortune upon the country. The sons of Esau thereupon dispatched a messenger in secret to their friend Agnius, king of Africa, begging his aid against the sons of Seir. He granted their request, and sent them troops consisting of foot-soldiers and mounted men. The sons of Seir, on their part, also sought allies, and they secured the help of the children of the east, and of the Midianites who put warriors at their disposal. In the encounters that ensued between the hostile forces, the sons of Esau were defeated again and again, partly on account of treachery in their own ranks, for their men sometimes deserted to the enemy while the combat was on. At last, however, in the battle that took place in the desert of Paran, the sons of Esau gained a decisive victory. They massacred all the warriors of the sons of Seir, and the Midianites and the children of the east were put to flight. Thereafter the sons of Esau returned to Seir, and they slew all the inhabitants of the place, men, women, and children, sparing only fifty lads and maidens. The former they used as slaves, and the latter they took to wife. They also enriched themselves with the spoils, seizing all the possessions of the sons of Seir, and the whole land was divided among the five sons of Esau. Now these descendants of Esau determined to put a king over themselves, but in consequence of the treachery committed during the war, there prevailed such hatred and bitterness among them, that they decided never to appoint a ruler from their own people. Their choice fell upon Bela, the son of Boar, one of the warriors sent to them by King Agnius. His peer could not be found among the allied troops for bravery, wisdom, and handsome appearance. They set the royal crown upon his head built a palace for him, and gave him gifts of silver, gold, and gems, until he lived in great opulence. He reigned happily for thirty years, and met his death then in a war against Joseph and his brethren. This war came about because the sons of Esau could not banish from their memory the disgrace of the defeat inflicted upon them by Joseph and his people. Having enlisted the aid of Agnius, and of the Ishmaelites, and other nations of the east, they set forth on a second campaign against Egypt, in the hope of delivering Zepho and his followers from the hands of Joseph. In spite of their enormous host, they had no less than eight hundred thousand men of infantry and cavalry. They were defeated at Ramses by Joseph and his brethren, and their little company of six hundred men. Beside their king Bela, they left one-fourth of their army upon the field. The loss of their king discouraged them grievously, and they took to flight— hard-pressed by Joseph, who cut down many of the fugitives. When he returned from the battle, Joseph ordered manacles and fetters to be put upon Zepho and his followers, and their captivity was made more bitter unto them than it had been before. The sons of Esau appointed Jobab of Bozrah to succeed their dead king Bela. His reign lasted ten years, but they desisted from all further attempts at waging war with the sons of Jacob their last experience with them had been too painful, but the enmity they cherished against them was all the fiercer, and their hatred never abated. Their third king was Husham, and he ruled over them for twenty years. During his reign Zepho succeeded in making good his escape from Egypt. He was received kindly by Agnius, king of Africa, and appointed commander-in-chief of his troops. He used every means of persuasion to induce his sovereign lord to enter into a war with Egypt but in vain, for Agnius was only too well acquainted with the strength and heroism of the sons of Jacob. For many years he resisted Zepho's arguments and blandishments. Indeed, as it was, Agnius had his hands full with other warlike enterprises. It had happened about this time that a man of the land of Kittim, Uzi by name, whom his countrymen venerated as a god, died in the city of Pozamana, and he left behind a fair and clever daughter. Agnius heard of Jania's beauty and wisdom, and he sued for her hand, and his request was granted by the people of Kittim. The messengers of Agnius were hastening away from Kittim, bearing to their master the promise of the inhabitants that Iania should become his wife, when Turnus, king of Benevento, arrived on the same errand. His suit was rejected, for the people of Kittim were afraid to break the promise given to Agnius. In his anger, Turnus went to Sardinia to make war upon King Lucas, a brother of Agnius, intending to deal with the latter as soon as the other was rendered harmless. Hearing of the design hatched by Turnus, Agnius hastened to Sardinia to the assistance of his brother, and a battle took place in the valley of Campania. Against Turnus were arrayed Agnius, his brother Lucas, and the son of the latter, Niblos, whom his father had appointed commander-in-chief of the Sardinian troops. In the first encounter, turnus was the victor, and the Sardinians lost their general Niblos. But in the second engagement, the army of turnus was routed completely, and he himself was left dead on the field. His army fled, pursued closely by Agnius, as far as the cross-road between Rome and Albano. Niblos's body was put inside of a golden statue, and his father erected a high tower over his grave, and another over the grave of turnus, and these two buildings, connected by a marble pavement, stand opposite to each other, on the cross-road at which Agnius left off from following after the fugitive army. The king of Africa went on to the city of Benevento, but he took no harsh measures against it and its inhabitants, because it belonged to the land of Kittim at that time. Thenceforth, however, bands of soldiers from Africa made incursions, now and then, into the land of Kittim, under the lead of Zepho, the captain of the African army. Agnius meantime went to Posemana to solemnize his marriage with Yanaya and he returned with her to his capital in Africa. The Legends of the Jews volume 2 by Rabbi Louis Ginsburg. Zepho king of Kittim. all this time Zepho did not leave off urging Agnius to invade Egypt and he succeeded finally in persuading the king to consider his wish and a great army was equipped against Egypt and the sons of Jacob. Among the shield-bearers was Balaam, the fifteen-year-old son of Beor, a wise youth and an adept in magic, and the king bade him acquaint him with the issue of the war upon which they were entering. Balaam took wax and moulded the figures of men, to represent the army of Agnius and the army of the Egyptians, and he plunged them into magic water and let them swim, and it appeared that the African army was subdued by the Egyptians." Agnius accordingly gave up the campaign, and Zepho, seeing that his sovereign could not be persuaded into war with the sons of Jacob, fled the country and betook himself to Kittim. The people of Kittim received him with great honors, and they offered him much money to stay with them and conduct their wars. It happened once, while Zepho was in the mountains of Coptesia, where the inhabitants of Kittim had taken refuge before the troops of the African king, that he had to go on a search for an ox that had strayed away, and he discovered a cave, the opening of which was barred by a great stone. He shivered the stone in pieces, and entering the cave he saw an animal formed like a man, above, and a he-goat below, and he killed the strange beast, which was in the very act of devouring his lost ox. There was great rejoicing among the people of Kittim, for the monster had long been doing havoc among their cattle, and in gratitude they set aside one day of the year, which they called by Zepho's name, in honour of their liberator, and all the people brought him presents and offered sacrifices to him. At this time it came to pass that Yanaya, the wife of King Agnius, fell into a grievous sickness, and the physicians ascribed her illness to the climate and to the water of Africa, to which she, a native of the land of Kittim, could not get accustomed because she had been in the habit of using the water of the river Forma, which her forefathers had drawn to her house through a conduit. Agnius sent to the land of Kittim and had some of the water of the Forna brought to Africa. Finding it much lighter than the water of his own country, he built a huge canal from the land of Kittim to Africa, and the queen henceforth had all the Forma water she needed. Besides, he took earth and stone from Kittim and built a palace for Unia, and she recovered from her illness." Meantime Zepho had won a decisive victory over the African troops, that had made an incursion into the land of Kittim, and the people chose him as king. His first undertaking was a campaign against the sons of Tubal and the islands of the sea, and again he was successful. He subdued them completely. On his return the people built a great palace for Zepho, and they renewed his kingship, and he continued until his death to reign as a king of Kittim and of Italy." During the first thirteen years of his reign the Africans made no attempt to disturb the peace of Kittim, but then they invaded the land, only to be severely repulsed by Zepho, who pursued the troops up to the very borders of Africa, and Agnius the king was in such consternation that he did not venture to make reprisals for some time. When he finally made a second attempt, his troops were annihilated by Zepho, down to the very last man. Now Agnius, in despair, assembled all the inhabitants of Africa, as numerous as the sand on the seashore, and he united his great host with the army of his brother Lucas, and thus he made his third attempt upon Zepho and the people of the land of Kittim. Alarmed, Zepho wrote to his brother in Seir, and entreated their king Hadad to send him aid. But the people of Seir had concluded an alliance with Agnius as far back as under their first king Bela, and they refused Zepho's request and the king of Kittim had to face the host of eight hundred thousand men mustered by Agnius, with his little band of three thousand. Then the people of Kittim spake unto their king Zepho, saying, Pray for us unto the God of thy ancestors. Peradventure he may deliver us from the hand of Agnius and his army, for we have heard that he is a great God, and he delivers all that trust in him. Zepho prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, God of Abraham and Isaac, my fathers, this day may it be known that thou art a true God, and all the gods of the nations, are vain and useless. Remember now this day unto me, Thy covenant with Abraham our father, which our ancestors related unto us, and do graciously with me this day, for the sake of Abraham and Isaac, our fathers, and save me and the sons of Kittim, from the hand of the king of Africa, who hath come against us for battle. God gave ear unto Zepho's prayer, and in the first day's battle one half of the African army fell. Agnius forthwith dispatched a decree to his country, ordering, on penalty of death and confiscation of property, that all the males of the land, including the boys that passed their tenth year, were to join the army and fight against the people of Kittim. In spite of these new accessions, three hundred thousand strong, Agnius was beaten by Zepho in the second battle. The African general Sosipater, having fallen slain, the troops broke into flight, at their head Agnius with Lucas, the brother, and Asdrubal, the son of Agnius. After this dire defeat the Africans made no further attempt to disturb the peace of Kittim, and their incursions ceased for ever. In spite of the great victory that Zepho had won with the help of God, the king of Kittim walked in the idolatrous ways of the people whom he ruled, and in the ways of the sons of Esau, for, as saith the proverb of the ancients, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, and Zepho was not other than the rest of the sons of Esau. The severe defeat inflicted upon Agnius drove Balaam from Africa to Kittim, and he was received with great honours by Zepho, who welcomed him on account of his deep wisdom. Now Zepho thought the time had arrived for him to carry out his plan of vengeance against the posterity of Jacob, all the more as in the meantime Joseph had died, and also his brethren and the valiant men of Pharaoh had passed away. He was joined in the enterprise by Hadad, the king of Edom, and by the nations of the east and the Ishmaelites. The allied army was so vast that the space it covered as it stood in rank and file was equal to a three days journey. It formed in battle array in the valley of Pathros, and it was met by three hundred thousand Egyptians and one hundred and fifty Israelites from Goshen. But the Egyptians did not trust the Israelites, they feared their defection to the sons of Esau and Ishmael. They therefore made an agreement with them that the Israelites were not to come to the help of the Egyptians until it appeared that the enemy were getting the upper hand. Zepho, who had a high opinion of Balaam's ability, desired him to use his magic arts and find out what would be the outcome of the war, but Balaam's knowledge failed him, he could not satisfy the king's wish. The Egyptians got the worst of the first encounter between the two hostile armies, but the aspect of things changed as soon as they summoned the Israelites to aid them. The Israelites prayed to God to support them with his help, and the Lord heard their prayer. Then they threw themselves upon Zepho and his allies, and after they had cut down several thousand men, such dismay and confusion took hold of the enemy, that they fled hastily, pursued by the Israelites as far as the boundary of the country. The Egyptians, instead of coming to the assistance of the Israelites, had taken to flight, leaving the small band of their allies to dispose of the huge host of their adversaries. Embittered by such treatment, the Israelites slew as many as two hundred Egyptians, under the pretext that they thought they belonged to the enemy. End of chapter one, part 19.